My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Ron and Anian. New means never, ever worked. Now new means never, ever worked, and maybe it's not the right part because maybe somebody switched it and didn't allow it to be proper in the way that it was supposed to function. Man, live, I shoved it on down into overdrive. The Car Doctor. This is a five-speed manual trans or a five-speed automatic, Gary? Five-speed manual. Well, if you're putting it in any gear and it doesn't move, why haven't we asked ourselves the possibility about why wouldn't it need clutch. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, 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 Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here cooking along and ready to go this hour at 855-560-9900. Here to talk to you about your car problem, whatever it is you've got going on. Uh, a couple of great stories we're going to talk about this week. I've got the answer to the why are speedometers allowed to go up to 140 miles per hour. and It's a, it's an answer that really makes sense. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on this hour. We're also going to talk about the missing extension cord. I heard a great story at the deli this morning when I went to breakfast and uh, we were sitting around and having our usual car talk, and uh, JB was telling me the story about his girlfriend, his fiance's brand-new Jeep, Grand Cherokee Diesel, and why it wouldn't start this week in the bitter cold. And um, it's, a, it's a real shocker as to why, because it was the case of the missing part. We're going to talk about that. But right now, let's kick open the garage doors because the phone lines are lit up, backed up, and ready to go. Let's go over and talk to Bill, Brighton, Michigan, 2002 Pontiac Grand Prix. Bill, welcome back to The Car Doctor, sir. Before we start... How cold is it in Michigan today? <laughs> I was afraid you'd ask, Ron. It was about five below when I got up this morning. We're all the way up to 11 degrees at the moment. Now, now is that wind chill, Bill, or is that... Oh, no, no. We, we got the 15 to 25 wind chill below. Jeez. Anybody going out today, or is it just uh, we're all going to hang out around outside the house? <laughs> we got the fire uh, going, and uh, we're hanging out. Yeah, I can imagine. So what's going on with the car? Uh, standard 3.8 V6, no supercharger. Right. 175000 on the vehicle. 100,000 on this particular motor. Code is a P1362. Crank position sensor stuff. Um, I thought that was ignition control module, Ron. Am I wrong? Um, well, it could be. Uh, this is this is a normally aspirated or a supercharged version? Normally aspirated. Okay. Um, and what have you done to it so far? Let's, let's start uh, the conversation. Nothing, Ron. Here. I wanted to get your expertise before I dive in. Um, make it as uh, painless as possible. Are, are you getting a 1361? No, I'm not, and that's what bothered me. I, they're supposed to come together when you have a short. Right. Those two codes. Dan, uh, let me ask you this, Bill. Have you, well, okay, let's do this. Let, let's start at the beginning. This can be a combination of cam crank or ignition module. This can be a couple of things. It's an erratic signal. And it's a signal problem. Something's not interpreting correctly, okay, um, okay. Is, is where the basic fault is. 1362. Um, it is pretty common, but it's usually accompanied by the 1361. That's what's kind of got me. So where I would go is let's verify signal. Let's, you know, do you have the capability for a lab scope? I think you do, don't you? Yes, I do. Um, why don't we take a look at the? Why don't we take a look at the at the cam and the crank, and make sure we've got our three times and our 18 times crank signals, and make sure they're good, clean, square information. Let's look at both of them. Um, okay. You know, just because just because one hasn't 
set a fault doesn't mean it's not about to. You know my conversation about the parameters of how a code gets set. Now, it could be if a 1362 is now and a 1361 is coming, maybe we do have an ignition module fault. Uh, the, the issue is the ignition module um, has separate power and ground circuits, and the circuits between the ignition control module and the PCM are, are seeing a problem. All right? Okay. The ignition control module will send, for example, that three-time signal out to the PCM, and then the PCM makes a timing change during cranking. All right. Right. Um, it, it's it's a case that you know we don't want to get caught up in if we've got garbage going in, maybe we've got garbage going out. So the first thing I do is let's let's wave both sensors. Let me ask you this: Have you cleared the code and tried to get it to come back? No, I have not, Ron. I've been so bitter cold here, and this is not a vehicle I use very often. Right. So right. Um, you know that's 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 step two. I mean, by by definition, 1362 is that the powertrain control module sees a short in the voltage signal in the ignition in the ignition module timing circuit. All right, um, but I've also seen it where an erratic crank sensor will cause that fault as well because it's garbage in, garbage out. Okay. All right. So let's eliminate cam and crank, and then work our way up towards, and and we'll go from there. All right. Ron, I appreciate it. I will give you a follow-up and uh, see how we do here. Right, and you've got my email if you need me, right? You know, Ron, sure at, Ron at cardoctorshow.com, and I'll send you some more information. But I would I would start the game from there. Okay. All right, listen. Thank you again, Ron. Stay warm. Good luck, Bill. <laughs> okay. All right, take good care. Let's go over to line two, Jerry, in New Hampshire, with some questions about a 2011 Honda Fit. Jerry, welcome. You're on with the car doctor. How can I help? Ron, I've got a remote starter on this thing. Okay. Uh, when I bought it, the guy said, oh, it doesn't work. There's another battery in it. I I, I, didn't, I never heard of another battery in it, but I I followed the line. I can't find another battery in the line. Let me, let me ask you. This thing will turn over. Wait, okay? wait, wait, wait a minute, Jerry. What's the, you, you bought this car used? Used. And you, you, you had a ro- remote starter in it. Right. And not, the people that put it in are not in business no more. Oh, boy. So now he says there's a battery in it someplace. I says, why? He says, yeah, there's a battery someplace in it. I never heard of it. Uh, yeah, and I've never heard of, I've never heard of or seen why we would add a secondary battery. He's saying there's a secondary battery to crank the starter. Well, it'll turn over, okay, but it won't start. I'll press the button, it'll turn, uh-uh, but it just won't start. Okay, but if you turn it with the key, it will. It will. Sounds to me, if I were if I were taking a guess from my chair here. The thing I would be thinking about is, do we have a problem with the security system of the vehicle? In that, if the vehicle turns over, the engine cranks normally as if the key were in the ignition, Jerry, just so I understand this. Right, right, right. Okay. It cranks and it, it, right. Just, it won't fire. Right, it won't fire. If it won't fire and the key cranks normal, then and the, or the, the vehicle cranks normal, then I'm going to think, do I have a security fault that it won't allow the injectors to turn on? And why do I have the security fault? Did Is there something in either the programming or is there something with the add-on remote starter that won't allow that to exist? Um, did the programming change? Now, normally it'll start, and then the vehicle won't go anywhere until you put the key in the ignition. Right. So, unfortunately, you've really got to get a hold of it. Listen, do this. Stick your head under the dashboard on the driver's side. There's got to be an add-on module. There's got to be something hanging down that you can get a model name or a manufacturer name, and then Google that. Now, maybe the installer's not in business anymore, 
but I'm going to say I hope that the manufacturer is still in business. Okay. Uh, you know, let's look at it like this way, Jerry. You just bought the car, right? It's only a 2011. Right. If if the manufacturer of that remote start really is not in business anymore, for a couple of hundred bucks, let's get it out and let's get something in from a manufacturer that designs something properly and they'll stick around and be in business because you don't want to have any problems. Because my next question is, how cold is it up there in New Hampshire today? Um, it's 11. 11. That's today. What's it going to be tonight? Six below? Right. Maybe yeah, in the six. Yeah. Right. Six yeah. So, so we kind of don't want to have a problem with starting and, and, and car issues and so forth. Not in the cold weather. In, in the warm weather, hey, pull over by the side of the road. But take the lawn chair out of the trunk and uh, get some rays while the tow Watch truck right, waiting right. for the tow truck. So let's see what model of remote start is in that vehicle and what manufacturer. If the manufacturer is around, I guarantee you they're going to have a tech line or they're going to have an access for information on the web. And maybe this is something the programming in the module changed. And if it's not that, then the tech line should be able to give you some further information. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't keep an aftermarket add-on remote starter in a vehicle without information if it's giving me problems. I'm one of those guys that I take it out to be, you know, uh, be beforehand. Right, okay. So that's that's what I was thinking of doing. Uh, right. Maybe just instead of looking around, maybe just put a new one in. But. And you could do that too. But by the same token, you could have a very good one there that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that's a name brand. For all you know, you're going to buy the exact same model of what you have in there. It's just you're going to buy an owner's manual with it. So maybe this way you can get an owner's manual without spending any money. Super. All right. All right, Ron, thanks Jer a lot. I'll uh, look into that. I'm here if you need me, Jerry. Give me a call, 855-560-9900. By the way, if you're looking for more information about this radio show, it's cardoctorshow.com. You'll find an affiliate list at tunein.com, and we've made it simple for you to take the Car Doctor with you and subscribe to podcasts. You can go out to iHeart.com or iTunes.com, whichever your device is. And uh, as you heard me say before to our first caller, Bill, you can get out to Ron at cardoctorshow.com. Drop me an email. Let me know what your question, what your thoughts are, and uh, we'll, we'll react accordingly. This radio show is here for you to help solve your problem. We mean that, and we take that very seriously as we enter our 24th year. We were just figuring that out um, uh, prior to the show today, that we're almost, we've almost been doing this 25 years. Hmm, time to retire. No, no. I, wanna, I, I like getting together with Fast Harry and Tony on, on the weekend. It uh, gives us all something to do. Tom, not so much. Yeah, Tom, I love you too, Tom. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We'll all be back right after this. Car doctor cruising along at 855-560-9900. So how come a speedometer is allowed or designed to go to 140 miles an hour? Do you ever think about that? It'll read 140 or 160 or 180. And then why does an oil pressure gauge go from zero to 100, but it the engine doesn't make anywhere near 100 PSI worth of oil pressure? I got the answer, but I'm not going to tell you right now. Stick around. Let's get back to the phones. Let's go over and talk to Theodora in Hawaii. I don't want to ask Theodora how warm it is there because I know what this answer is going to be. Theodora, welcome to the car doctor. How are you today? Thank you so much. I'm just fine. Yeah. Can, okay, tell us. How, how, what's the weather like in Hawaii today? 
80 degrees <sighs> uh, on the island I'm on, which they probably are all pretty much the same. Listen, do you think you could use a, a radio show to do a remote from Hawaii? I'm, I'm volu- Why not? I'm volunteering if somebody wants to send us some tickets. I'll even put the crew up. We just need a way to get there. Um, is is this the cold season for you guys now? I mean, is it going to stay at 80, or is this like is this like summer for you? No, we're sort of like 80 year-round, give or take max 20 degrees. Blue skies? Now, the, this is our winter from, from uh, Christmas uh, on till about June. We go into spring and summer just like you folks do, except we never get the 90, the uh, 98 degrees, the 100, and, you know, it never gets that hot, and it never gets as cold as it does, say, in Colorado. We're basically a mean temperature of 80 degrees wow. on all the seven islands. Wow. Okay. Now, 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 well, that's okay. Listen, I deserve it. I asked for it, right? I said I'm not going to ask, and I asked. So, well, listen, good for you. I hope you enjoy it. We'll think about you as we're freezing here. Well, wait, wait, wait. We've been here said, 30 years. She said it 80 degrees is a mean temperature? Yeah. That ain't mean. Right. Uh, we'll take it. Yeah, we'll take it. Boy, let me tell you, we'll take it 80 <laughs> degrees. Anyway, how can I help you in your car, Theodore? Well, I was driving along, and my passenger was upset with me, reached over, pulled out the key from the ignition while the car was moving. Uh-oh. At about, at about 40 miles an hour. Okay. I took the first right turn to get out of the very busy uh, street I was on. And uh, the car mumbled and grumbled and it heaved and it rocked back and forth and it died. Right. Before I made the complete turn, I almost went into the adjacent curb. Okay. So I got through that and about two minutes later I started it up and drove on home with my passenger. And then about four days later the oil indicator, that little hand stopped indicating it went to the right and and it disappeared beneath the dashboard so i never saw it again now and then it peaks it'll come up and show its head and go back down but it never gives me the oil temp and also when i turn on my headlights i have an indicator in my car uh, in another little window, this car's 23 years old. It's right. a 91 Oldsmobile right. 88 Royale. Right. And when this is an old car, but it's a very pretty car, and it was a good car. And then I found that my temperature, my um, mileage, my speedo, speedometer, is going all the way from the left of zero. And it kind of stays at 20 no matter how far fast I go. And about... 10, 50 miles down the road, it pops up, and it either goes back and forth very crazy, you know, like a mirage. It's going right and left, right and left, right and left. And then it, it stops, and then it gives me the right mileage. It's okay. like 20 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, but it hasn't indicated for something like 12 minutes. Your, your question to me. Well, then when I turn on the lights, my my clock doesn't work. Okay. And when I turn off the lights, my clock works. So I have a feeling that what happened was that this person, I was told that there is a, a wiring harness right behind the key. Remember, she pulled out the key yeah. while the car was running. Right. And I was told, you need a new wiring harness. It's a small one behind the key. They put it in. It changed nothing. And then I was told by the same people, you probably need a wiring harness for the entire dash. No. And you, stop. She may have totaled the car because it may be 1,500, no. 2,000. Stop. Stop. No. 
That's it. Yeah. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Um. The reason is the reason the key came out that the ignition key itself is worn. Is it a worn key? Well, I've got about three of them, and I've tried them all with the same result. Will 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 all the keys come out while the car is running? None of them do. None of them do. You have to uh, turn the key down to like a lower gear. Okay, anyway, so in other words, in other words, did she turn the car off to pull the key out, or you're saying while I the... was driving, I was the motor was going, so she had no control of turning the car off. Right. She reached over from the passenger side and jiggled the key, and I said, "Leave that alone! Don't do that! Don't do that!" And she had it up in the air. Oh, so she just must have caught the worn key just enough. I don't think the key has anything to do with your speedometer problem. All right. Okay. What what's what was very common back in the day was those clusters had their issues, that instrument cluster. And I'd be willing to bet this is more coincidence than anything else, because unless something was physically pulled out of the column or physically pulled out of the ignition switch when she pulled out the key. If the only thing that came out was the key itself, like Jack Horner and his thumb with the plum pie, if that was exactly. the o- if, if that's the only thing that came out, then it's just the mechanical interaction of the key with the ignition tumblers. I don't see any connection with wiring harnesses or anything else. And before I started condemning wiring harnesses, unless I looked under the dash and something looked burnt or something smelled burnt, something appeared shorted, I would send that cluster out to a to an instrument cluster repair facility and ask them to go through it and make sure everything is calibrated and working as required. Very common. Not an uncommon fault on that generation vehicle or a new generation vehicle. My 90- Okay, so I have the old cluster, the new cluster. The new cluster's in place. The old cluster's in the back seat. Oh, they put a new Which cluster. Which one in do it. I send in? The well, old one? Well, what? They they put a new they put a new cluster in the car? They put a new key cluster. There's a cluster right behind the key. No, no, no. Apparently in the steering column. They, no, 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 no. It. When I say cluster, I'm talking about the gauges, the speedometer, the oil pressure. No, the... no, no, no. They left that in. What I'm talking about is the um, wiring harness behind the key. That's got that's nothing. New. That, no, that's got nothing to do with this. I want you to find a a a, a gauge repair facility. Somebody that will check and make sure the calibration of the speedo and the temp gauges that are giving you problems are calibrated correctly, and I bet that solves it for you. You've got my email. We'll go from there. I'm running in the car, Doctor. We're back right after this. Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900 is the phone number. The website's cardoctorshow.com, and you can find more information there as well as get out to iHeart.com and iTunes.com if you're looking for podcasts to subscribe to, depending upon your device. Hey, so I'll give you the answer. Why do speedometers get to be calibrated to 140 or 160 or some ridiculous number that unless you're running down to the store for a gallon of milk, you're never really going to hit that speed? Well, I've seen how people drive. I'm from Jersey. Um, you know, why do they go up to 140 miles an hour? Why do oil pressure gauges go up to 100 pounds? The answer is because gauges, not just on cars, but on the majority of things, are designed 
to operate with the best calibration in the middle of their range. So the majority of people drive between 40 and 80 miles an hour. That's where we want the the degree of accuracy to be the greatest. How many people drive at 120 on a regular basis? You know, maybe down Texas way, but you know, not up here because there's no room. You can't drive that fast. But uh, it's a case that they design them to operate. They're looking for accuracy in the middle of their range, and if they have to go to 140 to get it, or 100 pounds, or whatever the numbers are, that's why they do it. Now, some of it's marketing too. That's a different conversation. I can't give you a scientific answer for that, but uh, you know, we we came to this conclusion after doing some reading and research. And I actually got the best answer that led me to this from a friend who operates an old steam locomotive. And his answer was that, you know, 200 years ago, 150 years ago with steam locomotives, they couldn't maintain the accuracy over a broad scale. So if you look at a steam whistle, it's always higher to the high end. It's a number that before it got there, it usually exploded anyway. But they were trying to maintain accuracy in the middle of the range and Leave it to be something from 150 years ago. Answered a question today, here and now. Speaking of answering questions here and now, let's get over to line two. Let's go talk to Chuck in Kate, Texas. Chuck, what's the weather like in Texas today? Welcome aboard to the car, Doctor, sir. Oh, thank you, Ron. Thank you for taking my call. What, what's what's the temperature? You, I love you, show. You, you, you're just awesome. Uh, thanks, um, Chuck. What's what's the weather like down there today? 45 and miserable and rainy and nasty. Well, let's see if we can add a little sunshine to your day. What's your question, kiddo? Uh, well, I, I've, I've done everything that you've recommended for this uh, 5.4 Triton. Everything's great, and she runs very smooth, and I'm getting an average of 14.8 miles per gallon, so I know it's okay. Okay. However, if I hit an acceleration lane to go on the Beltway or Highway, we have a lot of them here. No, we don't always travel, travel 120 miles an hour. Texas, yeah, how fast, do they, how fast do they go in Texas? Average on high, Beltway and Highway, about 80. Yeah, it's because everything in Texas is... Just spread out, right? It's it's very big. Yeah, anyway, very big. Anyway, my issue my issue is when I get onto an acceleration lane. This has started happening about a week ago. I'll take the accelerator to full throttle within a period of two seconds, but to the point where there's your shift linkages if you're going to downshift. So I take it to full throttle, and she'll go, and it's almost like it's like if you had an IC chip in a race car for a rev limiter. It's it's almost like hitting every other cylinder, and it'll, it'll, it'll get clean, it'll do it again, and then when I finally let off, it, it'll go away. When this is occurring, my check engine light is flashing. Okay. And, th- and then it goes off, and it's not it doesn't stay lit after the incident or nothing, but it only flashes when this is occurring. What? So I guess my proposed question to you is, I'm going to have to get a scanner to yep. find out what the code is that's in there to really diagnose it further. Yeah. Because there's there's going to be something in there as to why that check engine light occurred. You ever think about how a computer sets a fault code, Chuck? Yes. How do you think it works? By it's almost like the definition of insanity. It does the same stupid thing twice. Well, by definition, think of it like this: There's something in a modern vehicle. There's software called Mode Six. All right, you've heard me talk about it before. I know you're. I know you, we've made you a regular listener to the show, and we appreciate that. Mode six is. I think of it as the assembly language that the machine uses to determine, you know, where it stands. A computer always has to be testing. It doesn't have the ability, like a human being, to see or think or touch or feel or smell. Right. Right. So mode six is where it does its testing, 
And contained within mode six, there are TIDs and SIDs, test IDs, component IDs. And TIDs and SIDs make up the various tests that the computer does in the mode six software section to determine which component is working and how well is it working. Okay. So you can actually get an engine to misfire and buck and break up, for example. And it may be, depending upon the parameters by which the software is written, that it may not store a code to the point to turn the check engine light on, but gotcha. it will be there in mode 6. You can actually, with a proper scanner, you can actually read mode 6, pass, fail, pass, 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 fail, 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 that kind of thing. When a, right. com- when a computer runs its monitor or self-test for each individual system, it then decides, okay, you know what? I'm watching for misfire. I'm watching for misfire. I'm watching for misfire. I saw it skip. I saw it skip. I saw it skip. Whatever its software says, whatever the parameters are on how hard it's got to look and how many times it does that repetitive test, right. when, it, when it hits that ceiling, bang, check engine lights on and it stores a hard code. So in your case, it may not have turned the light on full time yet because it hasn't occurred with enough frequency, but there's going to be, if you saw the light blink, there'll be something in history as a pending fault, or I'm sorry, there'll be something in history, or there'll be something pending as a fault, or there'll be something in mode six on the other side of the screen, so to speak. And gotcha. that's what you want to look at. So, yeah, you're going to need a scan tool. Take a look at that, and then we'll kind of go from there. Now, I know you did spark plugs. We talked about this a couple of months back. Right. I know you put plugs yes. in this. Right. Did you happen to change the coil boots or the coils? No. Okay. And I don't think you were having a problem. It was more maintenance at that point, right? Correct. Right. Okay. So, and I'm not saying every time you do plugs, just automatically do coils and boots, unless it's a very high-mileage vehicle. And I don't think yours is, is it? No, it's at 80 right now. Yeah, that's not a lot. That's not a lot. But, you know, I will tell you this. If you've had a lot of rain, if you've had a lot of moisture in the last couple of weeks when the problem started, pay attention to the back two cylinders on the Ford pick-em-up trucks. I see issues with water drain off the cowl and it will leak down onto the intake manifold. It gets past that weather seal where the hood meets the back of the cowl, and water will drip down onto the intake and then work its way into the spark plug wells. You'll find a misfire. You'll pull the boot out. It's soaked with water. Blow the water out, and the problem goes away. Okay. Just something to be aware of. But, yeah, get a scan tool, and then we'll talk about it after you get a code. Right on, right on. But I appreciate that. But like I said, just, just, you know, make sure we're on point. It's, when this action is occurring, like I said, it's almost like a, a rev limiter chip in a, in a race car. When it hits it, it's every other cylinder and the light continuously flashes during that occasion. Right. Because it doesn't, blink. it doesn't blink once or twice. It's blinking the whole time this is occurring. Right, because that's that's the point at which the misfire is occurring. Right. And when the misfire occurs, the engine starts to shut down because it's trying to prevent damage to the catalytic converter. Okay, so then in closing, Ron, what would you recommend I get for a scan tool? Take a look at the CRP-129. What's my budget, Chucky? How much money do I have to spend? I'm open ceiling. Okay. Take a look at the new launch tool. Gosh, I can't remember the I can't remember the model number. I'll look up the model number. We'll talk about it either later this hour or next hour. Or if you send me an email, I'll send you information. But launch just came out with a droid-based version 
of their scan tools. It's the latest and greatest. I think it's got a street price in the eight $900 range, and it's an awful lot of tool for the money. Um, you know, if we didn't want to go that high, either the CRP 129 or the 123, but I don't know the Mode 6 capability is as good as some of their higher-end models. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like their stuff. Uh, you know, if you can find an older OTC Genesis on eBay, there's some great Mode 6 capability there because I think okay. to, to go buy a, 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 a Genesis for uh, as a do-it-yourselfer, I think you're going to find street price in the $3,500, $4,000 range, and I think that's just overkill. I think a thousand bucks or less is probably where you want to be for a do-it-yourselfer. Um, okay. You know, so between those two, those are the first two that come to mind. And don't be afraid to take a look at eBay. Send me an email and say, "Hey, Ron, what do you think of this? What do you think of that?" Because okay. you know, you'll find a repair shop. A good repair shop is always upgrading their tools, and sometimes they get rid of their older stuff. And sometimes there's a lot of life left in older tools that'll do a lot of things for a weekend warrior that a professional shop just can't use anymore. They need something latest and greatest. Am I safe enough to go to, like, an auto zone and throw the guy 10 bucks and put the computer on it and see what it reads? Yeah, you could. But you know what? You're the kind of guy you're not going to be happy with that. You're going to want a scan tool. Exactly. I, I know how you are from our conversation. All right, brother. Well, thank you so much for taking the call, Ron. You had the greatest show. I tell you, you're spot on everything you tell me. Thanks, Chuck. We appreciate it, uh, and, and good luck to you down there. And you uh, say hello to everybody in Texas. Way car doctor, get down there one day. We'll go see if we can do 120 on the highway. Probably not for long. So let's wander over and talk to Eric in Sebago, Maine, and some questions about, oh, yeah, oh, no, okay, I'm sorry. I, I apologize, Eric. I'll tell you what, stay put. I didn't catch the clock. Um, we'll be back right after this. Get back on air because I can see Tom's dancing in the studio. Hi, Ron and Annie and the car doctor. Let's keep this show uh, at a family value level. Eric from Sebago, Maine. Eric, are you there, sir? I apologize for that. I got caught up in the moment. How can I help you? Uh, I'm looking to get an older Volvo XC70 for beat around more or less. Okay. Uh, looking at maybe 02 to 05 and what they seem to have is 150 to 170,000 miles. And I, I hear good things about them. I, I've never had a car. I've always had trucks. But except for lately, the price of fuel, you know what that's doing. All right. But, um, any reason why you would singularly pick out a Volvo that year, that year range and models and so forth, Eric? I like the way they look. I think they're handsome cars. And Okay. Uh, that's not a very smart thing maybe to do, but... Well, I have heard good things about them, and I just wondered what you know you've seen in the shop, and I've heard issues about the all-wheel drive distribution can be a problem and yep. an expensive one. Volvo, uh, Volvo as a car line is yeah. is a great car line if you have the checkbook to go with it. Ah, all right. Um, I was saying, I was saying to the boys when your call came up on the screen during the break. Uh, you know, we've got a customer with an 03 XC70 wagon. Anne Marie's had the car since new. We've worked on it since new. And if the average car after it's three years old is 
twelve to fifteen hundred a year. This car has grown to three grand, thirty five hundred a year in the last four years. Wow. It's it's just been a fortune. Uh, you know, coil springs, rear shocks. Uh, we just had a recent issue fuel pump. We've had problems with ABS. We've had problems with the EVAP. Matter of fact, the one that just put it over the edge was the evaporative emission fault that requires half the exhaust system to be pulled down for it to be replaced. And it's a thousand dollar repair. And at a hundred thousand miles, they're just going to get rid of the car because they're just done. They're just tired of dealing with the expense. Uh, you know, safe car. Yeah, things built like a tank, but it comes at a price. Yeah. And yeah. and I don't know, you know, I'm not trying to discredit the car line. I think, yeah, you know what? You, you hit the nail on the head. You like the car look. You think it you think it's a sharp-looking car. You know what? Always buy something you like cuz when it breaks, you don't mind fixing it. It's right. just, you know, um you got to have the checkbook to go with it. Um, Finding a lot of them have, you know, the front struts done and, and uh, yep. front bearings yep. and stuff. I, I guess are they non-serviceable bearings like everybody's gone to? Uh, yeah, and, you know, everything is modular, and everything just gets very expensive. Now, by the same token, the other issue with Volvo is that as you get into the emission control systems and the onboard computers, you've, yeah. got, you've got to have dealer-level capability. You've got to have a very, very, very good aftermarket scan tool. Or you've got to have dealer-level tool in order to deal with that car, and it gets to be pricey. So, you know, the first half of the conversation is, are there any issues? Yeah, it's typical stuff. It's high mileage. It's older cars. Uh, you know, is it worth it? Yeah, it's it's worth it if you've got the checkbook. And from that perspective, if you're looking for a down-and-dirty $4,000 beater, something to drive when you don't want to drive the truck or, or, you know, something you want to go out to dinner in other than the truck, you know what? Start looking at an older Toyota, Honda, Ford, GM, something along those lines. Let me know what you fall in love with there, and then give me a call back. Appreciate the call, Eric. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. Let's real quick sneak in one more. Boris Ramsey, New Jersey. Boris, you're on. I've got a minute and a half. What's up? Yeah, I uh, have a sticky speedometer. Okay. What kind of vehicle is this, uh, Boris? It's a 97 Ford Ranger. Oh. I've got yeah, 280,000 miles on Just it. broken in. Listen, the shop truck's a 97 Ranger V6 five-speed. Uh, what, speedometer stuck like in mid-range? Yes. Okay. At 50. It, it's it's not a it's it's not that it needs a new speedo. It may I doubt it. Um, what you've got to do is have the cluster pulled and taken to a speedometer cluster repair facility. Now you're in Ramsey, New Jersey. I can tell you, you're fortunate. There's a place in Elmwood Park, New Jersey, Eastern Electronics. They're out on the web at easternelectronics.us. The gentleman's name is Theo. He's been there for years and years and years. We use him at the shop. He works very well. Um, he repaired the speedometer in the shop ranger two years ago for pretty much the same problem. Um, mm-hmm. It was a couple of bucks. It wasn't terrible, and it didn't require the unit to be, re- you know, completely replaced. He was able to repair it. So I would tell you to, uh, you know, get the cluster pulled, give him a call, and, um, you know, you can kind of go from there. 
Uh, if you get out okay. to the web, go out to easternelectronics.us, uh, you will see that he has an 800 phone number. Thanks. I appreciate the call, Boris. Boy, this hour kind of flew by. Hey, what about the diesel Jeep with the um, wooden start and what was the missing part? I'm going to have to tell you about that in another hour. I'll tell you about that in the next hour because there's another hour of The Car Doctor still to come. Till then, I'm Ron Anany and The Car Doctor reminding you the mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.